Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. God, you do reign. We do praise you. We are humbled to be your people. You're glorious. You're a wonderful Father. We praise you. Jesus, you are our King, our Savior, our Sustainer, and we praise you. It's by your Spirit that we know you. It's by your Spirit that we have faith in you. It's by your Spirit that when our heads are low, you lift us up and set our eyes on the King, the true King, Jesus. Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness this morning because we understand that our sin creates a separation between us and you. Not that your hand is shortened, but that our faces are turned away. And we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for not exalting you as we should or not obeying you as we are called to or loving others as you require Plead the blood of Christ in our asking for forgiveness, knowing that in Jesus we have forgiveness, we have mercy, we have grace. And Lord, we remember in our prayers this morning <clears throat> the families that suffered loss 20 years ago on September 11th, 2001. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray, God, that you would bring your church around them to point them to you, their only true hope, their only comfort. Lord, we also want to lift before you those in our congregation who are suffering, who are sick, who are recovering, who are in pain, Lord, would you bring peace? Would you bring endurance? Would you bring healing? Bring your mercy to them, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be with our healthcare workers who are working tirelessly in this difficult season. We ask that you would give them endurance, that you would give them wisdom, that you would keep them safe, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would provide the medications, the equipment that they need to, to, to be um, as effective as they can be, Lord. And I pray that you would draw their eyes towards you also. Lord, we continue to pray for our country. We ask that you would bring us together, um, and we know that the only way that we would be united is in Christ. So, Lord, I pray that the church would lead the way in showing love to one another instead of dividing over every little disagreement. Lord, we pray for our country's leaders that you would grant them wisdom, but also humility. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us now in your word as we look at your kingdom. We ask that you would grant us understanding, grant us the desire to follow King Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak your word boldly this morning, and I pray that you would increase, Jesus, and I would decrease. In your precious name we pray, amen. 
All right, kiddos, you are released. And while they're going, if the rest of you will open your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Ephesians. Sounds weird, not saying Luke still. Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to continue our study, the series on the kingdom of God, what that looks like and what that means for us. And the first two weeks, we're kind of creating a, a foundation. Um, and then the last two weeks, we're going we're gonna to go to what does that actually look like for us in, in um, practice? How do we actually live as the kingdom of God, as a community, and out to um, the, those who are outside of the kingdom of God? So last week, what we saw was uh, the, the pattern of the kingdom of God is established in the Garden of Eden. We saw that uh, the king was identified as the creator of all things. Uh, we saw that the place was identified uh, where he ruled in the Garden of Eden. The, the rule of God, his word was established. The people were established and made in his image. And they were even given a mission to go to the ends of the earth, to expand the garden kingdom all the way out so that heaven and earth are together and God's reign is universal. But now, as we sit here in 2021, thousands of years later, it seems like something has gone drastically wrong. Uh, we see more and more chaos. We see confusion we feel and see anger. We, we see this politically charged environment around us. We see terrorist organizations and countries suffering and uh, Christians all over the world being um, persecuted. And, and we see nations in crisis and natural disasters. This seems like the opposite of what creation was meant to be. Instead of the garden expanding, this is the opposite. It seems like uh, evil forces are winning. But just as we heard in the scripture reading, as we're going to see in the, in the message today, Christ is uniting all things together in heaven and on earth. He unites us with the kingdom of God, and he's making things right and this is hard to wrap our minds around because we live in the earthly place and we are talking about earthly things that we experience every day. We see the news, we read the news, we see uh, the struggle around us and the conversations that we're in constantly. And we're also talking about the heavenly things that we struggle to grasp and understand. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going to look at uh, fallen humanity and, and the kingdom of God. And if you will, look at, look at the text with me in Ephesians 1. We're going to start at verse 9. Paul says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul is revealing to us here the mystery of God's will is to unite 
all things in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, if you remember back in Genesis 2, we saw that God formed humanity. He formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into humanity, and and man became a living creature, and God spoke audibly to humanity in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, "'You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden.'" But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. We saw in Genesis 3 that God was walking among humanity, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So what we're seeing here in the beginning of the Bible is the picture of God forming and breathing into and speaking to and walking among or dwelling with his people. A picture of heaven and earth occupying the same place. Interestingly, uh, the same form of the word used here in Genesis 8 that God is walking in the garden among his people also describes his presence with Israel and his presence in the temple. We see it in Leviticus, I will make my dwelling, that's the same word, I will walk back and forth among you, my soul shall not abhor you, I will walk back and forth among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. We see again in Deuteronomy, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. So we see God is with his people, heaven and earth, in the same area. And he calls them to be holy because he's with them. And even with the reference to the tree of life, we see later, John's going to reveal that the tree of life, um, which is in the paradise of God, it's, it's in the same location. It's located in the paradise of God, suggesting again that heaven and earth are overlapping in the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, we have the kingdom of God. We have the perfection of of what God has created, where God dwells with humanity and and the place where heaven and earth meet, heaven being God's space and, and earth being where we dwell. And we see in the garden these two places come together. And they're supposed to take that garden and expand that all over the earth, the earth being the green ball. But humanity falls in the garden. We saw this last week. They turn their back on God. They turn their back on this commission, this command. They turn their back on his provision. They want to provide for themselves. They want to define for themselves what is right. And we look and see in Genesis 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now at least he reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned in every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Humanity is removed now from the Garden of Eden. Now, the place where heaven and earth uh, dwell together has been driven apart because of sin. So, humanity is driven out of the Garden of Eden, 
And the Lord places a cherubim at the gate with a flaming sword that turns in every direction to guard the way of the tree of the life. And this is God's mercy towards humanity because if in their sinful fallen state would have reached out and eaten from the tree of life, they would have been stuck in that state forever. So God says, I'm going to remove them and I'm going to work to bring them together. I'm going to redeem them. But the cherubim is interesting that he places the cherubim there at the Garden of Eden. Because we're going to see all throughout scripture when you see a cherubim, you you should be thinking the presence of God. Uh, This is the presence of God. So in 2 Kings, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And as we heard in the call to worship this morning, the Lord reigns, let his people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. And if you read about the temple, you see that the, the Ark of the Covenant has two cherubim, one on each end, uh, and uh, one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other of one piece with the mercy seat. And that's where God met with his people, where heaven and earth came together right there on the mercy seat. This is where the high priest would make atonement for sin once a year. He would go and make atonement. We see in Leviticus 2, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. That's the holy of holies before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So you can see, church, that the Bible is not this series of disconnected, weird events that we don't know what to do with a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing in front of the Garden of Eden. And why do we see them pop up all throughout Scripture? It's, it's God's story. He's bringing it all together. And he's saying, as we saw, and that he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan of the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's God bringing heaven and earth together. What was separated by sin, God is correcting. So now we understand that um, heaven and earth, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, God's domain and God's um, and man's domain are separated by sin and rebellion. We see that. But God, through his plan of redemption, he starts to, to bring these things back together. And we start seeing this overlap in the rest of Scripture. So right after the fall... We have a split, people that are following their own desires, and then we have this uh, group of people who start to walk with God. We see it with Abel. He brings a sacrifice of first fruits to um, God. We see Seth. Uh, He was born after Abel, and at that time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord of Yahweh. We see Enoch. This is crazy that he walked with God and was not. God took him. We see Noah, he was a a man after God, well that's David, but um, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, he walked with God. We see this in Abraham, we see this in Isaac. So there's this, this bringing together, this idea of heaven and earth, and then we have this interesting thing that happens with Jacob. We call it Jacob's Ladder. 
I'm just going to read the encounter in Genesis 28. And he dreamed, that's Jacob, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. We usually think, wow, that's weird, what a weird dream. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord, I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. Are you hearing um, what was said in Genesis that you are to expand the garden kingdom in this promise also? In you, you are to go and bless the families of the earth. Behold, I am with you and keep you to you. I'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. See, his eyes are open to what is the spiritual realm that's going on that he didn't know about. He didn't believe. He, he heard probably his father talk about the promise and all of this. He wasn't really a believer um, until he sees heaven and earth and what God is planning to do in bringing these things together. We see heaven and earth overlap in this dream. And there's this beautiful proclamation to, that Jacob's offspring will spread to the ends of the earth. Like the Garden of Eden was supposed to. Like Noah and his family were supposed to. Like church, like we are supposed to. What we hear in the gospel message, what we hear in the Great Commission, you are to go to the ends of the earth. And this is so awesome because God is showing us in this promise a long time ago that he is going to unite all things in heaven and on earth. And Jacob gets this little glimpse of, of the spiritual realm and the earthly realm coming together and his eyes are briefly open to what's going on. And, and this, is, it, this is even more exciting. Later on we're going to see Jesus when he calls Nathaniel. He tells him truly Truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He fulfills this promise that he talked to Jacob about a long time ago. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get to Jesus in a moment. <clears throat> We also need to look at the tabernacle. Bear with me. The reason we're laying this foundation is because we need to see how God is redeeming his people, how he is bringing heaven and earth, his kingdom onto earth. So as we look at the tabernacle or later the temple, we're going to see this major link between God's people and God where he meets with his people, where his presence is made known, where he meets with Moses, he says, face to face. And Aaron, he's in the form of a pillar of smoke at day, and on, during the day and a, a pillar of fire at night. 
And the, t- and the tabernacle is patterned after the Garden of Eden. So as we read through those long, interesting passages about the minute details of what needs to be carved on the pillars in the temple, what it's doing is reminding us of the Garden of Eden. That we should be brought back, the worshiper and the priest is brought back to the garden we see the garden, uh, the gate in the garden faces east, the garden or the gate in the temple faces east. The golden lampstand in the temple is the tree of life, or it's a picture of the tree of life. Garden imagery all over. There's pomegranates and leaves, and this is reminding the people of the garden. So you see, the temple is the place where God meets. With humanity. It's the tabernacle where God and, and man come together, where he walked back and forth among humanity once again. But once again, just like the fall, just like we saw in the garden, they turn their back on God. Israel turns their back on God, they turn their back on his commands, and he once again leaves, we see in Ezekiel. And the cherubim mounted up. Again, we should thank the presence of God. These are the living creatures that he saw at the Chibar Canal. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside him. We're not going to deal with all this imagery. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, they stood still. These stood still, and they mounted up and mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was with them. And the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house. And stood over the cherubim. So we see right here, once again, heaven and earth being separated because of the sin of man. And there's silence for 400 years from this point until Jesus comes. So, we see heaven and earth driven apart. God in his grace and and mercy and his mysterious will is bringing these things back together. Uh, And then we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus. And John opens up his gospel with, and the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son and from the father full of grace and truth. The word dwelled among us is literally he tabernacled with us. The same word we saw in Leviticus that he make his dwelling among you. The same word we saw in Genesis that he was walking back and forth in the garden. In Jesus Christ we see God himself dwelling on earth. So the writers of the New Testament are are revealing that in Jesus Christ heaven has come to earth. He is the image of the invisible God. His actions are God's actions. His words are God's words. And as we saw last week in the creation of the king, or the creation, the king was revealed. He, didn't, he was not created. Don't repeat that. That would be heresy. And I'll lose my job. New Testament. We see in creation that he's king. We see in the New Testament the writers are revealing the same thing of Jesus. That he's the king. So Matthew opens up right away and says, from the line of David, this is the king we have been waiting for. And he's the one who will save his people from their sins. 
We see Mark open his gospel and he says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And what he's saying, um, I just get excited. I hope you get as excited about this as I do. The Gentile reading Mark, when they get and they read this in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, us in the 20th, 21st century Christians, we think, oh yeah, it's talking about Mark, you know, the gospel. Um, That's not what Mark is saying here. Mark, uh, the Gentile reading Mark, realized that he's announcing Jesus as king. This is the exact same way Caesar would have been announced as king. And Mark is saying, no, this is, we'll just read the inscription written about Caesar. This is not about which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit all humankind, sending him as a savior both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. Are you, are you seeing the messianic um, picture that they draw of Caesar here? And since he's Caesar by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity in any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the euanglion for the world, the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel for the world. This is, a, this is an inscription of Augustine. And they would have known that back then. So whenever Mark opens his gospel and says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's saying this God, this supposed God Augustus, is no God. He's no savior of humanity. Jesus Christ is the true king. The reason heaven and earth are separated is because we think We're the answer to humanity. We think we're the answer to our problems because of pride in our hearts. This is what caused the fall. But God in his grace and mercy, he doesn't strike us down. He doesn't stamp us out as he very well could have. He puts on flesh. He tabernacles among us. He brings heaven down. He puts puts the kingdom of God on display as we read in Luke Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So we see in Jesus, heaven and earth coming together. His words reveal the rule of the kingdom of God. He's astonishing those as he speaks. They say he speaks with such great authority. His words in the Sermon on the Mount are displaying, this is what the people of the kingdom of God look like. This is what we should look like. His summation of all of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the kingdom looks like. So as Jesus heads into the villages in the earth, instead of just having this overlap in the tabernacle, we start seeing little pockets of heaven where Jesus is show up. So he starts healing people. This is what heaven looks like. There's no lame. There's no um, sickness. He starts casting out demons and there's none of this. 
in the heaven, in the kingdom of God. No hurt, no pain, no sorrow. Those are results of the fall. Results of earth being separated from heaven. And then he says, as I'm healing, if by the finger of God I'm casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And by loving and showing mercy and caring for the poor and caring for the downtrodden, Jesus is showing what the kingdom of God looks like to people. And his disciples reveal the kingdom of God and and they're not like what we would think. Jesus says, this is what they look like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the ones who leave everything to follow Jesus. After he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. These are the ones who, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. These are the ones who repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's actually the king. You understand, the kingdom of God, the people of the kingdom of God are 100% reliant on the king. They are the, not on themselves, not on their own pride, not on their own direction or their own way. They rely on Jesus, the king, just as Yahweh called Adam and Eve to do in the garden in Eden. Follow me. I've told you everything you need to know. Just don't eat from that tree. His presence discloses also the place of the kingdom of God. Because as we've seen, while Jesus is on earth, he has authority over, well, he always has authority over demons, but we get to see it in his, in his casting out demons. He has authority over demons. In his healing the sick, he has authority over sickness and pain and even re- raising people from the dead. We even get to see the veil pulled back when the king is revealed in the transfiguration and, and uh, Peter, James, and John go up and they see Jesus in all of his glory. And Jesus even draws us back to the garden and and all of his, um, the way he talks. And he says, I'm the living water, like the, the waters that come out of the garden, like the rivers that come from there. He says, I'm the living water. He refers to himself as a tree of life when he says, I am the vine. I, if you abide in me, you will have true life. He's the bread of life. He's the provision of the food in the garden eternally and so on and so on. He's saying he is the connection. And by his coming and dying and being raised from the dead, he establishes his reign on earth until his enemies are a footstool under his feet. We saw that last week. Piece by piece, he's expanding his kingdom out. Person by person, life by life, through his gospel, he is setting captives uh, free. Captives to the God of this world, free. Showing them the true king. Through his gospel, Jesus redeems us for the kingdom of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now we'll get to 7 and 8. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight. And then jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, which among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead to the kingdom of God. Our sin created a separation between us and the heavenly blessings that he wanted to pour out on us. Remember, we were removed from the garden. We were cursed because of sin. We were cast out of the garden instead of experiencing the blessings that he had for us inside the garden. We placed ourselves outside the kingdom of God and became dead to the things of the kingdom of God. We followed the course of of this world, which is a direct contrast with the kingdom of God. We followed after the things of the sons of disobedience we were known as. We didn't follow the one true God of all creation, but the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, is known as Satan the deceiver. We continually believed his lies that you could become like God. If you just reach out your hands and grab whatever that forbidden fruit is for you. If it's pride, if it's lust, if it's power, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, it doesn't, whatever that thing is, if you would just reach out and you can be like God, just define for yourself what's good. The only certainty that we had was that we were children of wrath, that we would have to pay for our sins because we rejected Yahweh and we attempted to place ourselves on his throne. But look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. These two words at the beginning change everything for us. By dying, Jesus becomes the firstborn of the new creation so that we could be reborn. He becomes, Jesus on the cross is our link between heaven and earth, between the kingdom of God and, uh, well, the kingdom of God on earth. In Christ, we're no longer dead. We're we're made alive. We're no longer blind to the things of God. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're reborn, new creations, no longer dead in Adam's sin, but alive in Christ's righteousness. And as people come to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, as they repent and believe, they're brought into the kingdom of God. Just look at Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not later, church, but now. You're blessed now with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at, look at verse 10 in chapter 1. 
He's uniting all things in him, things on heaven, in heaven and things on earth. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. He raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep reading. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So now we're taken back to the idea of us in the garden. Now we've been brought out of darkness into light. Now we are to rule again and expand um, this good news because we are little kings and queens to tell others of the true king. That's our purpose here. We are to explain, we are to live out, we are to reflect um, our good works, reveal the kingdom of God. He says in verse 10, for we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not if we feel like it, not if we want to, but he created us so that we would walk in these good works he prepared for us. And those good works are showing people the kingdom of God. The good works that we do reveal the kingdom of God. The gospel message that we proclaim reveals the kingdom of God. The lives that we live should reflect the kingdom of God. So as we go out and spread the gospel, it continues to set captives free as we see in my very beautiful illustration. And the kingdom grows with each gospel seed planted, one seed at a time, all over the world. That's why we're standing here in Coos Bay, or Coos County, we're in Hauser, reading the good news because the churches believe this and spread the gospel. Well, perhaps you're here today and you haven't believed in the work of Jesus Christ in uniting heaven and earth. Uh, You're still trying to find that heaven on earth uh, in a perfect relationship or uh, in a perfect You're trying to vehicle or perfect job or the perfect college or whatever you're trying to find it in. I'm I'm here today to tell you um, that you're looking in all the wrong places. Well, these are good. They're not ultimate. They're not God, um, nor will they make you like God if you get them. But Jesus offers you a way back to the way you were created. He wants you in relationship with himself, the, the true king of all. And his call is to repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from attempting to be God. Turn from defining for yourself what is truth, uh, what is right, and follow the true king. Believer, maybe you've forgotten that in Jesus you've been redeemed, that you are to live as the kingdom of God, that you are in the kingdom of God, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Maybe you're living as if there's um, this separation between heaven and earth, like what you do doesn't matter as long as you have the right belief. And eventually it'll get you to heaven. 
Maybe you're neglecting to tell others the truth. Maybe you're neglecting to tell others of the king. You're not living as a free one. The Bible says repent and follow Jesus. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be light in the darkness. We're to be the kingdom of God. We are priests, a royal priesthood. So we want to live and act that way. We want to live that truth out so that the world around us can see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. I thank you that we could take a quick trip through your word to see how you're redeeming your people, how you're bringing heaven and earth together in Christ. You're uniting all things. And God, it's so hard for us to understand what that means, what that looks like. How does that change us? I pray that we would just realize who you are, what you've done, and how you're setting the captives free, how you're calling your people to live as the kingdom. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.